You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we're starting up with air quotes, new series. Uh, new to us. We are going new. Well, it's, you know, it's new um, ish. It is Neo Ultra Q, the 2013 sequel series to Ultra Q. Uh, I'm not going to be mentioning Ultra Q Dark Fantasy, which came out several years before that, which is also apparently a sequel series to Ultra Q. But this is the 2013 Wow Wow, which is a satellite network in Japan, subscription satellite network that uh, had this show commissioned with Tsuburaya for their for their network. And uh, as with Ultra Q, we're going to be looking at two episodes at a time. There are only 12 episodes in the series, so this is going to be a short run. But uh, we just wanted to see how it compares. 1963, I think, to 2013. And... Uh, We'll be looking at episode one, Quo Vadis, and episode two, Laundry Day. If those names aren't exciting enough for you, I don't know what. All right, Quo Vadis. Episode synopsis. Near Rubukamori, an old man tends a shrine that accompanies a massive sacred tree, which is blocked off from the public. Reporter Emiko, along with disrespectful youths, have come in search of the Rumagori vortex point. What they find is a sudden and frightening thunderstorm instead. In space, the sun goes through a series of massive sunspots, and a kaiju arrives on Earth. Therapist Jean is working with a patient. The patient is deeply disturbed. His wife and family were killed by a kaiju, and he can find no peace. Jin tries using an analogy that a kaiju is simply like a force of nature. But the patient cannot accept this, and accuses Jin of being a kaiju apologist. He leaves. At Shohei's bar, the door, Emiko, Shohei, and Jin discuss the story she's working on concerning vortex points. She's very dismissive of Rumagori as being disinteresting, but Jin argues that sites like Rumagori are much more interesting than the big-name popular spots like Mount Shasta. The kaiju is making its way through the city. While it is deliberately avoiding causing harm, its size and the crowded streets inevitably lead to some damage. In addition, crowds of people representing diametrically opposed points of view are accompanying the kaiju, those that think it should be destroyed and those that think they should be conserved. The military are also following the kaiju, trying to keep back the crowds. While the soldiers are trigger-happy to open fire, their command does not want them to open fire while the world is watching on TV. Elsewhere, Jin's former mentor, scientist Professor Yashima, is fascinated by the sunspot activity and ignores cries from the government to come help with the kaiju situation. Jin, passing an area where the kaiju has been, collects a specimen of the goo left behind for study. His patient has also come to a decision upon seeing the kaiju. He's going to, quote, live his life more positively, end quote, whatever that means. As the crowds begin to attack the kaiju, Shohei and Emiko, upset 
and failing to understand why people would attack a creature that hasn't harmed anyone, go to see the kaiju expert, Professor Yashima, who is still more interested in the sunspots. Jin turns up, and they put some of the pieces of the puzzle together. The particles in the goo act as a compass, always pointing to Rumagori. The sunspot activity happens every thousand years, and 1,000 years ago, a kaiju named Nilwani, which looks the same as the current one, appeared. Jin speculates that Nilwani has returned to Earth and is heading to Rumagori to die. They all head to Rumagori. As the kaiju approaches, the government clamps down a media blackout and opens the attack. It damages but does not kill the creature, which continues on its way. Jin's patient is there with the intent to kill the creature too. When Nilwani reaches the tree, he dies, fusing with it. And in that moment, a portal to heaven opens, and the patient hears his wife and child encouraging him to go on with his life. He has closure. The abnormal sunspots end. Thus endeth the story. All right, quo vadis. Quo vadis means, where are you going? In Latin, also a famous film about uh, toward affairs in ancient Rome. And uh, yeah, I think I missed that one. No, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a, it was a big film, a big film. Uh, I can't remember who the lead was. Robert Taylor, maybe? Yeah, Somebody like right. that. Uh, based on a, something even older than the movie. But it was a, it was a biggie. It was a very big movie in the, I want to say, early 50s. I've never seen it. Okay. Uh, so, Ultra Q, Neo Ultra Q, what, what are your opening thoughts? Well, um, it uh, took me a while to figure out that it was the same three kind of characters. I wouldn't say types, but mm-hmm. uh, for the main, uh, the, the you know, it's like somebody, I guess, is maybe working for a media outlet of some form, like yeah. surrounding taking pictures of strange stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's about the only link to the old series I could see. <laughs> yeah, the, well, the, okay. The, the character seems to be a bartender or owns a bar. Yeah, I'm assuming and, he owns that bar, but it, he might be a bartender. I'm not sure. He got up and yeah. left in the middle of the workday, so I assume he owns the place. Otherwise, he's yeah. out of a job. Exactly. Well, there is another there is a, another similarity between the three. In Ultra Q, it's uh, Yuriko, right? And this mm-hmm. is Emiko. Now, Emiko, obviously, yeah. Ko and Ko, that's very, it was more common for a long time in, in girl names in Japanese. They used to be pretty mm-hmm. much guaranteed. If you had a Ko on the end, it's a girl's name. Um, it's kind of fallen a little bit out of favor, I'm told. But, okay. um, well, it's it was uh, it used to be forbidden. It's an imperial word or something like that. And so when it when that got released, everybody wanted to name their child with color oh, in the see. end. And uh, so they did. And then uh, it's not it's not mandatory kind of thing. It was just really a big end. But so we've got that. And then we've got Jin as opposed Jin. to Jun. And we got right. Shohei instead of Ipe. Right. It 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 can't be a coincidence. They just kind of all right, well, it's, it's the same pattern. We need three people, and we don't really get, well, we didn't get much of an introduction to them in, in the no, series. No. Well, yeah, I, I guess. It, it wasn't until a couple episodes that he kind of figured out that, okay, Jin's a pilot, and he writes science fiction for fun. So in yes. this this, uh, this episode, we got, or this series, we have uh, Jin's the, the scientist, and he's a hobbyist 
a head shrinker. I think he's actually a head shrinker, and he he studies monsters for fun, for but fun? by training. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I, I think that's what we're supposed to get out of this, is that he and Professor uh, Yashima worked together in some sort of kaiju capacity, mm-hmm. science kaiju capacity, and Jin decided to go on and use, I'm guessing, his other degree in psychiatry. <laughs> if he has one, sure. Yeah, why not? Uh, to do that. Yeah. He's a counselor, so perhaps it's a different type of certificate. Yeah, it could be just, just a... MA or something. Yeah. Not an MA, but a MS. But do 20 hours of course study and you're done. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, you can open a, a very swank looking. Oh yeah. Wow. Uh, that was fancy. So Sohei's place that, that looks like that cost a pretty penny too, but uh, the door. <laughs> it's, it's a portal to another dimension. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, boy. Only one meaning there. You can, um, I, I have trouble with this story, uh, because it doesn't, with no pun intended, it doesn't really go much of anywhere. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It, I think, I think, and, and we'll probably catch this a little bit more in the second episode we look at, but I definitely get the feeling that whoever devised this show was fully bought into the notion that the original Ultra Q was supposed to be sort of Twilight Zone-ish yeah. and got derailed. Because I can definitely feel that what they're trying to talk to you about here is, I want to say exactly prejudice, but it, It's more of a intolerance. social commentary. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely really all that's going on here is is this idea of, the people who want to conserve the the kaiju mm-hmm. and people apparently who write more than one of yeah apparently apparently and you know okay so there are people who are willing to and i'm not casting aspersions here but there are people who would be willing to end all progress all construction all probably all of mankind to preserve the natural world any aspect yes. of it Yes. That little tadpole? No. Nobody gets any water. <laughs> yes. You know, and says as much rights, if not more, than you, the human. It's like, okay, I'm not even going to try to bother to ask you to explain that one because you can't. Yeah. I, yeah, and, I, and I'm not trying to go down that, that and, and pick on that. I mean, there's some value to the argument, but at the same time, with all positions, there's moderation. And Yeah. But, the, but you know... These people are clearly an analog of that. This kaiju is not that bad, but obviously some of them are. <laughs> and to adopt the position that we have to conserve them no matter how, which I is what I take from this, no matter how bad they are, they're living beings, they need to be conserved. They're rare. Well, presumably they're rare. No, hopeful. Yeah, hopefully. So that is so- obviously a commentary on something. Then the people who've lost people, like the patient, you know, they have a uh, they have a grudge. But as Jin points out, points out to him rightly, it's like, do you have a grudge against hurricanes? Hurricanes might have killed your family too. Would you would you lash out and be unable to accept that in that way? And he's got a point. And that kind of mirrors the 
some of the later Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the original Godzilla film, Godzilla is a metaphor for the atomic bomb. Yes, humans, hubris, and progress. But when you get in some of the later ones, Godzilla '84 uh, and beyond, there is an attitude that they take that Godzilla is sort of a force of nature. Yes, it's radioactive, and yes, it's been caused by man, but but it's really a destructive force that is a force of nature. We can't really mm-hmm. do anything about it, but it's there, and it's destructive. And I could see that echoing in in the patient's mind and and uh, Jin's argument against it. So, but I I the whole thing is just kind of like I said, it just doesn't go anywhere. It it just literally doesn't go anywhere. I don't know that there is a moral to it. Yeah, it uh, it kind of fell flat as an intro episode because that really did a poor job of introducing people. I mean, it did, yeah. but it was not very straightforward. They could have spent more time uh, exploring the concept of of racial pre- prejudice. Or, uh, well, actually, in this case, species, species prejudice. prejudice. Yeah, speciesism. Yeah, I think that's correct. And they really didn't. And yeah, don't know why. And, Maybe they and thought that was a little bit too heavy for the first episode. I don't know. Did did everyone hear the patient's family talking to him from from above? I don't know. Or did they I hear the their own that, things? Yeah, I got the impression that just the Mister Kobayashi was hearing them. The the patient I couldn't tell, and I went back and watched it again, and it it's like because everyone's looking up at the at the golden light, right? It gives the illusion that they're also paying attention to what's happening. So, you know, maybe they're all hearing loved ones from from the other side telling them it's fine. And I don't know. It, mm-hmm. it just it just is a very strange and 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 as you say, it's a poor introduction, but I kind of wonder if it's engineered to be this way. Kind of keep you on your back foot for your while you're watching it or and then, well, in other words, they're more concerned about just setting up the world that they're living in. Than, where there may or may not be lots of kaijus walking around. And so, and they interact with society in some way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, that's that's the world of Neo Ultra Q. And there's still very little evidence in Ultra Q that from one episode to the next, they even remember what happened or that the world remembers that a giant plant was trying to destroy Tokyo last week. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Or the city froze. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yes, we had a se- We had two sequel episodes that had callbacks to previous events. So we know that they're not just in a vacuum. But there's no show of what the impact of living in such a world is like. Uh-huh. This one is kind of doing that. And I... I'm wondering if that was the sole purpose of this episode was just to kind of go, you know, people know about monsters. People have opinions about monsters They're They don't always agree. The government's got its own position. The world's got its own position. Uh, people like Jin and uh, can't remember his name now. The other perfect Yashima uh, study monsters at an academic level. There's a, People talk about it on, you know, at the at the bar. <laughs> like, this is the world of Neo Ultra Q. But otherwise, it, 
I could not recommend this episode to for anything other than it, it looks nice. Oh yeah, the kaiju sort of, was, was well done. I kind of wish we'd seen a wider shot of it to see what its feet looked like. I, I found a picture of it online and it's got like tentacle things apparently, which, okay, I definitely didn't see that in the... Well, we did kind of see but, some stuff dragging from it like a, uh, almost like a bleh, swamp monster dragging uh, bayou weed behind it. You know, that we did see and, that in the scene where it was leaving its trail, which I guess those could be the tentacles. Yeah, who knows? And I couldn't get a real good feel how big it was. Was it 15, 20 feet tall? Um, uh, like uh, four meters is what I found online. It's like, uh, you know, hey, 25 feet. Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, yeah. it's about, about that right, about that height. So, it, it was, um, you know, and we're never going to get an explanation. It just, it, it came to Earth to die. It dies at the tree. Are we supposed to believe that tree was here a thousand years ago? Or is it a different tree? I'm going to say the same tree. Are there that many thousand-year-old trees? I don't know. I, ge- I genuinely don't know. I know there's some in the world, but I don't know. Or in the spirit of Japanese renewal, every hundred years they take a seed from the old tree and they plant it in that spot where the the, the tree died be. and they just call it the same tree. I mean, all their temples, that's, most of those that's have awesome. been rebuilt hundreds of times. Mm, mm. All right, fair enough. Let's take a brief look at the three characters uh, that we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with Emi- uh, yeah, Emiko. Emiko, yeah. Seems kind of shallow to me. That is the only well, impression I got. Yeah. Seems to be interested in getting a story or at least something that she's interested in. So, you know, all right, fine. It's funny. I When I watched this the first time and she's like, oh, you know, it's, it was nowhere near as cool as when I went to Mount Shasta and shows up the picture of Mount Shasta. And... <laughs> And my my brain just translated that into Fuji. Oh, really? Even though it didn't it look did. like it? No, yeah. No, my brain just translated it into something. Well, obviously, she didn't go to America to see a vortex point. She had gone to Sedona. And uh, yeah. Yeah, Who knows? Maybe Mount Shasta does have vortexes around it. Vortices. Uh, I can assure you that if there's a buck to be made, <laughs> it's a yes, vortex. exactly. <laughs> right next vortex. to the Vortex Hotel. Yep. Mm, I'm sure there is. Down on Isaiah Coming Lane. <laughs> the I Saw You Coming shop. Yep. Yes, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so whoever she works for, this article is is worthy of sending a reporter to the United States to investigate yeah. a war checkpoint. At, I'd like to know more about her job. <laughs> and we'll, we'll come back to her a little bit later in, in Laundry Day, I think. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I didn't get, and, and Shohei, mm-hmm. I got nothing. He's a bartender. I, yeah, he seems to be, um, somebody kind-hearted? who, yeah, kind-hearted, cares about the, uh, the kaiju, probably the type of guy that would take in a, a, a starving cat or a dog. Jaunty little hat. Yeah. Well, that came with the store, or the bar. <laughs> yeah, but wear that with the door, because, yeah, that hat, um. Yeah, I mean, they go down to, uh, he goes down to protest the violence against the kaiju. So I guess he's on the side of the conservationists. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, maybe not. It, it sounds like the conservationists are 
save kaiju, they're rare. And and Sohei is at least taking the position of why are they attacking a creature that hasn't hurt anyone? Exactly, exactly. Right? So it's a it's a sense of fairness or or equity uh going mm-hmm. on there. And then we have Jin. Well, I, I I don't even know where to begin with him. Very clinical. Yeah, it's like so you're a research scientist in kaiju, apparently. Mm-hmm. And then you decided, it sounds like from dialogue, that you can't yet dedicate yourself to studying the mind of kaiju when you don't yet understand the mind of man. So you become a counselor. Not 100% sure that somebody who cannot understand the mind of man should be a counselor, but okay, let's... <laughs> Yeah, let's well, go with that as a translational issue in in what he was kind of saying that, that yeah. it probably wasn't quite so diametrically opposite of, of where he was going. That's just a weird. That's just weird, you know. <laughs> I don't know what to go for. I liked the airline pilot who writes science fiction stories. I gotta say, yeah, that character kind of grew on me. They kind of made some sense that he was, you know, he was interested in this stuff, yet he had a practicality to him. This guy yeah, just he... seems to be the the stereotypical detached scientist who is pretty much interested in just his research and mm. doesn't... Yeah. Yeah, he's very dedicated and focused on that. I, that's the best I could get out of it uh, for him. So, but I'm sure in the next episode we'll get a lot more of of Jin and Sohei, yeah. and and make a little bit deeper on them. So uh, maybe maybe one of them wants to go take uh, pilot lessons. Yeah, there we go. You know, I I, fi- I decided that I couldn't figure out the mind of man until I understood how he could fly. Exactly. So exactly. I decided to be a pilot. Um, right. The, uh, I don't have anything else on this one. No, not not me. Um, open the other episodes are better. Yeah. Uh, it was not a good start. Um, it definitely, you know what? It it did have a feel to me of like the new Twilight Zone. I didn't like the new Twilight Zone. Yeah, I, they, I always felt like they missed. Yeah, yeah. They they knew where the target was. They were you know very well prepared to take their shot. They took their shot, but somehow they missed. And I think it was because they were taking themselves too seriously. You know, Twilight Zone is incredibly important. It's an incredibly important show. It's a touchstone in our civilization and our and our in our culture in this country, and and it's a very important that we get this right. And they they took themselves a little too seriously, and mm-hmm. so it's a little too solemn. And that's what I get out of this one. It's too solemn, and that's the word I'd use for it. It, it is. It is. Feels like they're saying this is important. Got that? It's important. And we haven't got anything to go with that. So, well, let's move on to episode two, Laundry Day. Or Cleaning Monster Cleans. <laughs> yeah. Reporter Endico tries to look into a laundry service known as Cleaning Brethren, run by Mr. Brethren. He's shy, though, and she leaves empty-handed. Brethren's services are almost legendary as the clothes he cleans come back as good as new. Grumpy old man Shiro and his wife come to try the place out, and Shiro is distressed to learn that Brethren is a kaiju. But his wife convinces him to put aside his prejudice and let Brethren do a load of laundry for them. Later, 
we see brethren casually walking the streets of the town. Folks adore him, give him food, children follow him around asking questions. Men in black are also watching him. His cleaning is done by spewing a bubbly substance from his mouth, which magically leaves the clothes cleaned, pressed, and folded. He's not limited to cleaning clothing, either. At the request of the local Sento, he cleans the entire premises under the watchful gaze of the owner and some local children. Brethren also does laundry service for the local old folks' home, much to the appreciation of the residents. Shira returns for their laundry and is so impressed, he secretly returns with some of his wife's laundry to have it cleaned. Brethren cleans the clothes, but unfortunately, Snoopy kids break in and accidentally spills soda on the dress. When Shiro comes to collect and inspect it, he is furious at Brethren for ruining the dress and vows never to return. At the old folks' home, Brethren cleans the old folks and makes them feel like new too. One of the residents mentions that Shiro will be coming to stay with him soon. His wife has died and he is grieving. Brethren travels to Shiro's home where his wife lies dead. Shiro is angry at Brethren. He trusted him with that dress. He knew his wife was dying and wanted to take a trip with her and for her to wear that dress and then later to bury her in it. Brethren has brought Shiro the dress, now fully cleaned, so that she may be buried in it. Brethren's successes continue and his company is getting a stock IPO. In an obligatory stars of the show scene, Emiko is discussing investing in the company with Shohei at his coffee shop. Shohei's grandfather told him to Never invest in stock. Brethren returns to his shop and is greeted by the adoring locals and the men in black who work for the UN Secretary General. The Secretary General explains, Mankind has polluted and is destroying his planet. Could you please clean the entire planet for us? Brethren agrees. He travels to the top of a hill and he sprays the entire planet white. The end. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> compared to that first one, this one is yeah. uh, definitely uh, a lot more um, what? weird. Uh, uh, whimsical. I would go with whimsical. You go with whimsical. Yeah. I, I can say I got the feels. That whole that oh, whole yeah. plot with Shiro and his dead wife, that uh -huh. really was totally out of place for a whimsical story. Yeah, but it, it, yeah, it was a little bit more, uh, well... Uh, I say lighthearted, but yeah, with the the passing of the man's wife, it did kind of you know darken the spirit of the whole episode. I, I got to tell you, I watched this one twice, and Hello. knowing where it's going with the wife, the scenes with him and her earlier are even worse because it's obvious he knows where this is heading, right? He he knows she's dying. Yeah, and he can't. I don't want to say he can't process it, but he doesn't know how to, to do it. So he is holding out for that stubborn, I'm the way I always am. Right. His his only emotion that he knows how to use in this case is grumpy. being a stubborn, grumpy old man. Get angry at it because he can't yeah. do anything about it. And, you know, that scene where he says, you know, you always make fun of me when I'm trying to be serious. And she goes, I hear you. And, and... Uh -huh. And then he says, that's your biggest fault. I just wanted to tell you that. And I'm like, what? Is he saying that because that's not very bad and he's trying to tell her she's been a good wife and, you know, that's a minor thing and that's the worst thing I can say about you? 
because he can't say something good. I, I don't, I don't know, but it just, it really is. It, it really is weird watching those two of them interact and she's so bubbly and nice and, and, uh, uh, and I'm guessing she knows too. Yeah. I think that she's accepted it. She, she yeah. Yeah. She, she knows that it's going to happen and, you know, you might as well make the best of the days you have left as opposed yeah. to fighting it. You Get know. your clothes cleaned. And, uh, yeah. It, it, right. You yeah. know, make plans for the future like you normally would. And in, in a way, it's touching that he is secretly taking that dress out to get it cleaned. Yeah. To to surprise her and to go on the trip and look your favorite dress or whatever. I don't know. Right. I, I don't know what the significance of that particular dress is to her, but it really throws a weird twist in a story about a freaking monster that runs a dry cleaners. <laughs> yeah. An ogre in this case, not a kaiju, but an ogre. Well, in Japanese, they definitely say kaiju. Okay. All right. Yeah, they are. They are absolutely saying kaiju. I, I checked that. Uh, the last episode, I think they, they called it an ogre. Yeah, they did. They called it an ogre. And I hadn't noticed whether or not they were saying kaiju, but they are absolutely saying kaiju. Okay. All right. So, that makes more sense then. So it's just the translator has decided is... that yeah. ogre is the word they're going to use. So Godzilla is an ogre. <laughs> One, right. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, this, it, Shifting gears, what did you think of this? How, how well, I like this one much better than the first one, even though it had even less uh, main persistent character uh, yeah. introduction as the first. It did at least introduce characters in that in a way that made sense. Yeah, and um, yeah, it, it told a a pleasant story that went a little bit off the rails at the very end. Um, Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I would like to say that <clears throat> of all the kaiju that have attempted to attack and destroy the Earth and take it over and all kind of stuff like that, over quite possibly all of the Ultraman series, this is the only one that has actually succeeded, where all others have failed. It has actually done something that uh, that, that uh, it causes an action to have impact for the entire planet. I have I have no clue what that ending is supposed to mean either. I think and uh, I think and, and uh, even more impressive that the animation style was very much like the original 1960s. Yes. Uh, just did it, you know, just the globe and then boom, this. Yes, it was very original. Going over the top of it, Ultra Q. Yeah, it it, it was. I thought that it's was like, great. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Did he just accidentally wipe out the entire planet? Or no, he cleaned it. Got it all sudsy. And then the moment it would get bright and then shiny again. See, like that's the clean. problem. They didn't. They didn't end it. They ended it before the suds went away. If that's what happened. Well, yeah, and but so, we knew that's what happened from watching him clean the clothes before. Yeah, he sprays the suds out, and then it you know gets shiny and clean. I I, I was not quite as uh, uh, convinced there at that moment. It's like you stop it there. I, I don't know why they stopped it there. But also that isn't very keeping with the original Ultra Q. <laughs> yes, it is. To be fair, this story couldn't go anywhere, right? I mean, there is no conflict apart from the old man and the wife and the and the, the spilled soda. So, I mean, it's just kind of scenes of the life of, of brethren. And what, 
What could they have done to end it? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could have been a downer and somebody could have shot him or something, but Ultraman shows up and kicks his ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also of, of all, uh, all Kaiju, um, the only one that has, uh, powers that are almost as lame as being able to clean things really well is, uh, the, the coin eating monster, which I kind of kind of gun. Yeah. That one, <laughs> those two that they're neck and neck. I would take flying turtles as more of a, an ability than these guys, but Hey, you know, well, you know, uh, so I should it put, works. I, I should put out there, this costume is very, very similar to Garadama. Right. <laughs> and Garadama is, of course, very close to Pigmon. Yes. I thought this, you know, from the promotional stuff, I thought this was just a variant of Pigmon. Uh, Pigmon yeah, no. is, has no abilities whatsoever, except he likes to carry a balloon. And, oh, uh, that's right. Yes. Yes. So... um I was yeah, surprised the other ones are when the this was the derpiest monster invasion force in the world. Yes, yes, they are the, the robots that hop and flap their little arms. Yeah, <laughs> when they short out, the foam comes out of their mouth. So yeah. that makes some sense. Yeah. So somebody saw that and thought, you know what? I have an idea for a sequel. Let's make that a cleaning uh, fluid. Do you know what I also thought was really interesting about this episode? I and I don't know that I noticed it in the other one, but what? I really noticed it in this one. The music is from the original Ultra Q soundtrack. Ah, I didn't notice the, that. Uh, like at the end when he's all walking with the kids, I swear that's right from Kanagan's Cocoon. Oh, with it all might the kids be. marching along and the thing. And then the when they cut to the, when they first open up on the uh, thing, they're, they're playing the spooky music from Ultra Q. It, okay. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it was uh, very. So, you know, keeping with the animation at the end was... Yeah, I think they even put that little doop at the end of the the whole thing, too. Yeah, I think they did. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think we saw at the end of the one where the kid gets launched into space, right? Yes. With yes. the M1, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, M1. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. I, I want to feel like that there is a... a theme in the last episode in this episode there is this theme of tolerance yeah maybe the kaiju aren't all that bad you think this is going to be something we're going to see in future episodes i, I haven't watched I don't anything know. Yet. i i have not watched ahead either i have not these are the only two hmm. episodes of neo ultra q i've ever seen <laughs> until next week when i will have seen the businessman who came from the sky and pandora's cave that's right they've got some great titles like the island that smelled a lot and uh (laughs) i am waiting for that one that sounds awesome it does doesn't it yeah (laughs) and the town that never talked (laughs) that's like okay yeah no come back in two episodes time that i i know when those are coming up um let's see what else do we have so Brethren's a nice guy. He hangs out at the old folks' home and yep. doesn't want does to take any sort of remittance for his work. Doesn't take money. That's right. Yeah. Maybe he eats the dirt that he foams off, the scrubbing bubbles, scrubbing bubbles. I think so, yeah. I, it, of course, he's got an IPO for his cleaning company and he's going to make 10 billion yen, I think it was. Yeah, that's not, you know, that's not chump change. No, that is not chump change. That is, that's some serious money for an IPO for a... For a kaiju, especially. 
Oh, yeah. Boy, you could fund so many philanthropic organizations with that. Uh, yes, he could. I, could. I and thought that having the uh, the guy from the UN show up and ask him to clean the planet, it's like, okay, that's a nice idea, but we're just going to mess it up again. I mean, it is maybe... Same is true with your laundry, too, man. But at yeah, least maybe it's brethren is figure, figuring, hey, you know what? This could become like a full-time gig for me. Plus, I just, you know, IPO'd, so it's going to be yeah. awesome advertising. Yeah, you figure, I, I, serious, serious point, though. So is it? Slightly, perhaps facetious question, I don't know. <laughs> if we were able to clean the earth up right now, I mean, it would be good. That's don't get me wrong. All the pollution out of there. And uh, all, all, all these things were good and we would still be polluting and we would still be messing the planet up. But we wouldn't have 150 years of the Industrial Revolution and beyond. Oh, sure. Piled up on us. Yeah, we, it would, I'm, I'm not saying years left. I'm not saying it's the right answer, up. but, you know, kicking the can down, if, if you could do it in that way, <laughs> is not the worst thing that you could do if that opportunity presented itself well it's like, plus i can nice see I, I can totally see some some environmentalists going no we shouldn't clean up the planet until you agree to stop polluting <laughs> like um well, if you cleaned up the planet all future pollution would be in such great contrast to what was now become the baseline is that you couldn't help but clean it up maybe see i mean if uh, you're you know if you're producing something that's got like you know 10 million particulates of soot and all of a sudden there's you know that's taking into account uh you know the 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 five million particulates of soot that's naturally in the atmosphere that's quite a bit more be funny they get it all out of the air and everything would get it get cold again and everybody would be complaining about global (laughs) oh and then tokyo would freeze over right yeah oh yeah (laughs) and then who would come Oh, oh boy, Pegamon, close Pegula, 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 that's right. the penguin. Pegula, Pegula B was it or H? That uh, Pegumen H. Pe- Pegumen, Pegumen H. H. There you go. Was the vitamin? Yes, vitamin Pegumen H. Okay. The, the moss or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, another interesting thing about this story is the early introduction of the Men in Black. Yes, I thought that was cute. It's like. This is going to go somewhere sinister. Nope. It's like they're just the drivers for the Secretary General of the UN. All right. Yeah, just some footmen looking up, getting intel on the, the whole thing. He Figure is a guy, you, guys. and he does clean stuff, sir. Tallies with what <laughs> I've heard. Awesome. So. Set up a meeting. Yep. No, don't set up a meeting. <laughs> Let's make it a surprise. Oh, yeah, that always works. <laughs> I know. You know what cracks me up? It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Japanese. Secretary General of the UN. It could happen. Wouldn't wouldn't you think? I mean, honestly, uh, joking aside about the Japanese becoming Secretary General, because it could happen. When you see an American show now, if you see a Secretary General, he is a foreigner. Yeah, he usually looks Dutch or something like that. Yeah, he he will be a foreigner because they want to drive home that's an international organization. Right. So, so in Japan, Japanese they should, yes, for an American show, but not for a Japanese show. Well, they should they also hire the make... worst American actor or the worst English-speaking white person actor <laughs> they can find in Japan 
if they want to be consistent with Ultraman and use him. Mr. Brethren-san, I have an important question to ask you. (laughs) Something, you know. So they kind of failed on that one by hiring. Well, they a might want to. They, they, they probably had the idea that uh, if we have the the Secretary General of the UN be Japanese, that means that the Japanese are in, in higher standing than they are now. That's that's very um, uh, it's very boastful and hubris of them. Yep, has been known to happen. There was that thing in nineteen thirty something other to forties that they did that was rather boastful. So, yeah, I suppose, yeah. you know, you know, not know. without precedence. Certain amount of truth to that, yeah. <laughs> also, I'm going to throw another weird thing is that the there is a sequence. <clears throat> Brethren takes the dress mm-hmm. to Shiro's house because he finds out that he's grieving. And his wife's just laid out there in the living room. Yeah. And I have to ask the question, is that actually a thing the Japanese do? I believe so. I think there is a period of, of mourning. And you just leave the body. Well, yeah. Friends would come say their last respects. And, and then, you know, the, Do you think the it's body been embalmed? Burial. Um, that I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Okay. Because ah, it doesn't take very long before decomposition starts making this an unpleasant situation. But all right. Well, yeah, I don't, you don't want them to sit there for a week. No. Well, I mean, it, it must have been long enough for them to know about Shiro and to do the cleaning and bathing and saying, yeah, he's coming next month and his wife recently passed away. And, but, but I mean, you know, it, the timing of that all is a little bit weird. But anyway, what I was getting at was he takes him, and that should be the last time we see him, but it isn't. Secretary General comes to Brethren and he says, hey, can you clean up the planet? And Brethren's like, mm-hmm, because he doesn't talk. He just bows. Right. He's very respectful. And then he heads off, and then we cut back to the old folks' home, and they're all sitting around the old folks' home, and they're just introducing Shiro, who has just come to join them. And they do a little bit of food thing, and then he turns and looks out the window, and and then we cut back to Brethren, and he does this thing where he cleans the planet off. And we're like, why did we, why did we do that scene? I don't think he's looking out the window at Brethren. I. I I'm just not sure why we needed that scene. I think it was good to leave it where he was, uh, crying over his wife's corpse in her dress. But <clears throat> it's strange. Our heroes weren't in it much. No, hardly at all. And Jin wasn't in it at all. Loose, very loose affiliation with our heroes on this this particular show. Is it? I don't know that I have anything else. Oh, oh, I do have one thing. This, like the last one, as I recall, was a bit sepia yeah i noticed the color timing was a little bit uh, subdued subdued except when he washed the clothes the clothes were absolutely white and everything around was still in sepia <laughs> did you notice that particularly the scene yeah where they he were does very the clean. table full it's like okay did they sepia the whole thing just so they could make the whites whiter no they might or have. Because I thought the last episode was that way too. So I don't think it was a sepia. I think it was a little bit more on a, a blue-gray uh, hue. But it was definitely desaturated and and passed through some color filtering. Let's see. This is 2013. It was when this came out. 2013. Yeah, I think that was kind of an in-the-thing to have the timing a little bit off. But I, I can almost swear that was 2013. 20- 
2007 or something like that, 2008 perhaps, when that was in vogue with uh, movies. Yeah, the, the, you know, TVs always falls behind, and and frankly, uh, most countries are behind Hollywood TV production. So, uh, not saying they can't do it, but there's usually a couple of years behind it because that's where the innovation is usually happening um, in Hollywood. So, it, it yeah, makes sense. But just a, an interesting, I don't know if the, I, I kind of got the impression that maybe they were kind of giving a little bit of a nod to the fact that Ultra Q is in black and white. No, that could be it too. But do you have anything else on it? I did like that bit. Uh, Grammy told me not to touch stocks. I wonder if that's what uh, Ipe said once. If that was his grandfather, I don't know. Could uh, be. <laughs> that would be funny if, if Ipe is his grandfather. Yeah. I can see how the, I can see how you would. You could draw that conclusion. It's just like the next generation, Neo Ultra Q, the next generation. It's yeah. just their kids down the line. Do you know my grandmother was a famous reporter for the famous Tokyo newspaper? Yeah. She was always getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Uh, there were the pesky kids, but at least they confessed real fast. Yes, they were. Uh, that was that was good. I like that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was. They weren't. They weren't too obnoxious in it. No, no, they, were, they weren't. None of the kids were too obnoxious. Even when and, they were crowding him around him, that that felt that felt very classic ultra. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. ultra Q though. Yeah, and and brethren didn't seem to mind very much. It's a very understanding cleaning monster. As long as they bring um, me their clothes, exactly. And uh, we get to see Seven Onsen, which has the classic uh, the painting of Mount painting Fuji of on the Fuji wall, on it. which I. From the documentaries I've seen of Japan and the dozens of onsens I've been in and stuff, that's it. That's those are that is typically what's on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I thought that were great. Yeah, I I, I I think that may be the same set or actual onsen they used in uh, maybe in Ultraman Orb as well. Yeah, I kind of I hate to say it, but it could be a case of they all look the same. It you know, could basic- be. Style. I, I remember a, um, a series by the uh, British presenter Jonathan Ross, where he goes to yeah, an onset. Japanorama. Japanorama, yeah. And it looks like the one from there. I mean, the same type of uh, uh, raised cashier next to the uh, door, the whole vet. So who knows? Yeah. Could be the they, same. Could be. Easily. But uh, yeah, that was about it. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing more of them. Yeah. Well, in that case, uh, the next time when we're looking at Ultra Q, I've already told you this. I've already told you this, but in case you were ready, needed to hear it again, it's the businessman who came from the sky. And I'm guessing by businessman, they mean salaryman. But okay. Sure. And uh, Pandora's Cave. Run. That's suspicious. suspicious. John, thank you for joining me. You are very welcome. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusionpatrol. 
Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, well, your guess is probably as good as mine. It just kind of depends on what uh, the uh, winds of DVD arrive on our doorsteps. So uh, stay tuned next time for a bit of a surprise on Fusion Patrol.